You are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit more about UConn's historic win on Monday night. I've got some more numbers for you that I didn't know yesterday. More on college basketball, the ratings for the championship game. We're going to talk a little NBA. Did you know that their new CBA was signed? And there is something in there that I'm going to need some explaining on. Also, going to talk a little bit of Tiger Woods. I don't think I've spoken about Tiger since this podcast started. With the Masters getting reared up and ready to go tomorrow in Augusta, we're going to talk a little Tiger and then some baseball nuggets for you that we'll get to to end the show. And we'll get to that momentarily. In case you couldn't tell, little under the weather, woke up yesterday with a horribly red throat and then immediately was sniffling, as you just heard me there, <laughs> sorry, for most of the day yesterday. I, you know, I feel a little bit weak, but took a COVID test. I was negative. I honestly think this this happens every year around this time when the seasons change out here. It's starting to be high 70s, low 80s, and... I keep my house rather cool, and going in and out of the hot, I think, is what did it. The other day, I was walking outside as well for almost an hour, and then come back inside to a cold house. I think that's what ultimately ended up doing it, but I should be fine. But you're hearing it in my voice a little bit. A little bit, uh, little bit worn, but we, uh, we'll push through and get going on this. So yesterday, on the podcast, I had talked about UConn's dominance. I mean... They won every game by double digits. Five of the six games, they won by 15 or more. The other game, they won by 13 or more, or by, they won by 13. So every game by double digits. So I said it out loud, but I didn't know the answer yesterday. How many times has that happened in NCAA tournament history? And the answer is now five. Since the brackets expanded to 64 slash 68 teams in 1985, UConn is the fifth team to win every game by double digits. The last one to do it, I believe, was that North Carolina team in they either won it in 07 or 09, and they were really, really good. So it doesn't happen very often. What's that? 15, 20, 38 years, only five teams have ever done it. Doesn't happen very often where a team just absolutely runs a rough shot through the NCAA tournament and never has a close game. I'm telling you, UConn's toughest game was their first one against 13-seeded Iona. They were down 39-37 at half. And then they outscored them 50-24 to in the second half and one going away by 24 points. Every other game, they weren't even close. Yes, San Diego State cut it to five with five minutes left, but the very next play, like if you were thinking Monday night, okay, San Diego State, has shot horribly. They've played horribly. They look terrible today. And they were down five with five minutes left. They get a stop and cut it to three. You just don't know what can happen, or even two for that matter. But yet, what does UConn do? They come right down the court. They run a set play. They get Jordan Hawkins off a screen, and he buries a three, and it's up to eight, and they outscore him, I think, 13-4 or 13-2 the rest of the game, something ridiculous like that. So that's what I mean. I mean, this team is really good, and Jordan Hawkins probably going pro after this tournament, but Sonogo could come back if he wanted to. Donovan Klingon, the 7'2 guy, he could come back if he wanted to. Like They have a lot of pieces there that could make them legit contenders to defend their title. 
Losing Jordan Hawkins is going to be key, but I don't know who they have coming in recruit-wise, but if everyone else comes back but Jordan Hawkins, they're going to be damn good again. You know, ESPN already has their mock top 25 for next year, but it's so hard to say how legit that is because we just don't know people's decisions yet and whether or not they're choosing to come back. And we don't know about transfer portal stuff yet. Some guys have already announced where they're transferring to. Some guys haven't. One guy that went in the transfer portal yesterday that's probably now top two or three transfers in college basketball is Max S. Uh, Max Asmus from Oral Roberts. Remember the guy who led them to the Sweet 16 in 2021? Oral Roberts made the tournament this year. Couldn't get over the hump in the first round, but... This guy has scored 2,500 points in college basketball. He's got one year left. He's going to use his COVID year. Oral Roberts lost their head coach to Wichita State. Maybe that's where Max Asmus goes. I don't know. But he is going to be one of the more sought-after transfers in college basketball. Here's another amazing stat by UConn that I did not know until yesterday. So UConn finished the season 31-8. and But they were 14-8 and in the Big East, including they had lost 6-8 of eight at one point. So every non-conference game this year by UConn, they won. And you know what their average margin of victory in all their non-conference games was? 24 points. They were 17-0 straight up and 16-0-1 against the spread in non-conference games. I did not know that until yesterday when it was too late after they had already won the national championship. They covered every game that wasn't a Big East game this year. That I can't imagine that's ever been done before. So every game before the Big East Conference, every game in the NCAA tournament, won and covered. An average victory by 24 points. Crazy. And with UConn winning on Monday night, I don't know how to explain this. Obviously, there are good players that play in the Mountain West, the Pac-12, the WAC, the WCC. But, man, there goes another season. Since 1997, no team west of the Mississippi has won a national championship in college basketball. Arizona, last team to do it. Every national champion east of the Mississippi. And it's just like, why? That's a pretty large sample size. 25 years, 26 years? I can't explain it. And Arizona has always had some good teams. Gonzaga has always had some good teams. Plenty of number one seeds. UCLA has always had some good teams. Plenty of number one seeds. Oregon's made the Final Four, I think, twice. They've had some good teams. But for whatever reason... These West Coast teams cannot get over the hump and win the national championship. 1997, that's crazy. I don't understand it. That's a pretty large sample size, though. So if you're heading into next year and you're filling out your bracket, you got to think it's going to break one of these years. you got to think the streak will be broken. And Arizona, UCLA, Gonzaga maybe even San Diego State, if they move to the Pac-12, becomes more of a power in basketball, maybe they ultimately end up winning one. But it's almost like, you know what? You got to stick with the numbers. And if you're betting the numbers, you just don't put a West Coast team having 
winning the national championship in your bracket. It's not going to happen. Hasn't happened since 1997. Uh, you can't just all of a sudden be like, oh, yeah, I know it's going to happen this year. Do you? I certainly don't. And the other thing about Monday night's game, it was the least watched men's title game on record. It drew 14.69 million viewers, and that was down 14% from last year's title game between Kansas and North Carolina, which drew 17 million on linear TV. And that's to be expected. Look, as I've always said, the NCAA tournament, to me, is the best sporting event of the year. And it's great getting those upsets early on and getting small schools winning one or two games. However, for TV networks, while that's great, you also want it to kind of even out when you get to the later rounds so you could have the bigger name programs get there to the end. San Diego State, great story, got screwed over during COVID because they were 30-2, and two, about to be a one or two seed in 2020. Tournament got canceled, and here they are. They came back, all the power to them. But let's be honest, people weren't dying to see if San Diego State won a national championship in basketball because they're not a team that people talk about. They're not a team that probably 80% of the country had a clue about. And when they think of San Diego State, maybe they think of Marshall Falk. I don't know. But, you know, they're just not going to draw on the big stage. And they got to the national championship. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just saying for television purposes – Yeah, CBS was not thrilled that you didn't have any of the major names in there. You didn't even have any of the major names in the Final Four. Like, if if it would at least made the Final Four and got to Saturday, you could have had some viewership on Saturday. But when you have two five seeds, a four seed, and a nine seed, yeah, you're going to expect it. It was expected before the game. All the media people were saying it's going to be the lowest rated, and it was. And But that doesn't mean college basketball is dying. And I don't think this is – I think this year was kind of an anomaly – because five years in a row, a number one seed had won the national championship. But with NIL, will things change? Will we get more upsets? Yeah. But for this reason, for this season, it just seemed like, like I said, number one seed's going out early. We didn't even have a one seed make the Elite Eight. That was the first time in college basketball history. So it's a one-season snapshot. We'll see if it happens again next season. And even if it does happen again next season, that's only two seasons. We just won't know until the next five or ten years play out. All right. In terms of the NBA, for those that don't know, the NBA signed their new collective bargaining agreement this past Friday, and it is now signed for seven years. So there will no be will be no labor stoppages or any lockouts, at least for another seven years. And there are some things in there. I'm not going to tire you with any of the minutia that's in there in regards to tax exemptions and salary cap floors and ceilings and all this stuff. But the one thing that's in there that is very interesting that a lot of people are talking about right now is the fact that they are going to start an in-season tournament next year. I'll be the first to admit, I don't know the exact particulars. I heard somebody talking about it on a podcast. And all it is is and I don't follow I don't follow European soccer. I don't follow Premier League stuff, but it's basically along those same lines where you have a league, but within that league playing, you play other tournaments in that and you can win other tournaments. Well, what the NBA is going to do to try and make the regular season, I don't know, more interesting and have regular season games on a Thursday night in December actually mean something 
is everybody's going to get a chance and be part of this tournament, and it goes towards your record. And then once you get down, I think, to the final eight or final four, those games will be played at a neutral site, and they are not part of your 82-game record. I think they're going to be additions. So one team or two teams are going to play two extra games during the year. So, look, I know it hasn't taken place yet, and I know that people that love soccer and follow soccer and watch Premier League soccer – love in-game turn in-season tournaments and these countries go all out and they they win it they're going crazy I, I just don't see it for the nba yes it'll make it more interesting if on a thursday night like i said in december it's like okay here's round one the rockets are playing the hornets and if you win this is part of their pool play and they can advance okay i mean I just I I understand they want to add importance to the NBA regular season because it's long and ultimately it doesn't really mean anything and NBA teams are sitting their top players out way too often with this loads management stuff but I can't see the players getting excited about this well they want to win of course it's competition but let's just say you know this turn it's going to happen it starts next season it's going to happen And let's just say the finals end up being, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies against the New York Knicks. I don't know. I'm just picking two teams. As far as I know, when that happens in the Premier League and they and a team goes off and plays in another tournament during the Premier League season and they win it, it's a big fucking deal. I mean, I'm talking the players are excited. They're jumping up and down. I just don't think I can see an NBA team getting all that excited about winning an in-season tournament against teams that they're playing anyway. The prize apparently is $500,000 for each player on the winning team. Great. These guys make $30 million a year. Sure, some guys at the end of the bench, they'll like that, but they're not going to play. I just don't see how this is going to generate interest in the fan base or the players all that much. But I could be wrong. This could start next year, and I'll be like, you know what? Remember when I said I didn't like it? I actually do. It's actually adding some intrigue here. To me, it would only have made sense if those NBA teams are playing teams, I don't know, in another country. But you can't do that during the NBA season because then you got to make them travel. It These are teams you're playing anyway. And now it just has a label on it of, oh, when the Lakers are playing the Sacramento Kings this Saturday night, it's actually a semifinal game in the in-season tournament. Okay. And then if the Lakers win or the Kings win and then they go to the finals and it's just a one-game final, I just, I don't know. People can compare this. Steve Ode, if you watch the Premier League, it's they absolutely love it. But that's soccer. Soccer has a different fan base than the NBA. Soccer hooligan fans absolutely live and die by their Premier League teams. People like the NBA. They like their NBA teams. They don't live and die like the soccer fans do. So, yes, the players are going to want to win. But at the end of the season, let's just say the Sacramento Kings win the in-season tournament. But the Milwaukee Bucks win the NBA championship. Do you think anybody's going to give a flying fuck? that Sacramento won the in-season tournament? No. They're never going to. It's just, I, 
I I don't know. I'm at a loss here. I, I don't see – I understand why the NBA wants to do this because they want to spice up their regular season. I just don't see how it does it. I don't see how the fan bases get overly excited about something like this because all it is is a label. You're playing the same teams you're going to play anyway. It just is, oh, you're playing an extra game because you got to play them for the in-season tournament championship. Okay, great. We won $500,000 for all of us. Whoopee. I'm going home and sitting in my mansion uh, making $40 million a year. I sneeze out $500,000. <laughs> you know? I don't know. But that's what we're going to get starting next year. We'll see. I Look, I'll be the first to admit if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I end up really liking it, I'll tell you I like it. But from a distance right now, I don't see it. So we're going to talk a little golf. The Masters starts tomorrow at Augusta. And Tiger Woods is playing. Tiger Woods, as we know, has been dealing with some major, major foot and leg issues ever since he crashed an Escalade in L.A. a couple years ago. And he has trouble walking now. He was almost going to lose his leg. And there are so many things you can say about Tiger Woods. But one thing that I don't think a lot of people ever say is... Unfortunately, <laughs> I know this sounds almost ridiculous to say, but you got to hear me out. I think when we look back on Tiger Woods' career, it's almost a missed opportunity. Do you understand this guy had won 14 majors by 2008 in his first 11 years on tour? He won 14 majors. The record is Jack Nicholas, who has 18. Tiger Woods was going to obliterate every golf record known to mankind. But then injuries took over. Personal life stuff took over. His obsession with working out ultimately killed his body. 2008, he won the U.S. Open on a broken leg, mind you, in a playoff against Rocco Mediate for his 14th major at Torrey Pines. And everyone was just like, oh, my gosh. He's still got another, I don't know, 15 years in his career. Yeah, here we are 15 years later from his win at the U.S. Open in 2008 that got him his 14th major. He's won one since. One. The 2019 Masters. He's got 15. He's never going to win another major. I hope he does. It'd be great theater. But physically, I just don't think he can do it. For four days, he can put a round together. He can put two good rounds together. But to compete for four days, he can't practice like he used to because his leg and his feet bother him too much. You're not allowed to take a cart. He would just have to be lights out and in another world for four straight days. Could it be? If there's anybody that can do it, it's Eldrick Tiger Woods. However, it would be unreal if he did it and most people aren't expecting it so he's going to end his career with 15 majors which obviously nothing to shake a stick at can't be too disappointed but when you won 14 by 2008 and then you won one in the next 15 years missed opportunities he's certainly not going to catch jack he's not winning three more can he pull one out like i said maybe but Man, 
And it was kind of his own doing. It was kind of his own downfall. The women chasing, the infidelity, the injuries. Like I said, his obsession with working out ultimately wrecked his body. And now, after a car accident in uh, two years ago, maybe it was three years ago. can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021. He's physically just not the same. And obviously, ton of players on the tour, ton of young players. You know, Tiger's getting up there in age. He's basically, you know, my age. He's he's forty seven. Turns forty eight in at the end of this year. And you know, you look back on it, you're like, wow. In two thousand eight, fifteen years ago, he was thirty two years old and had fourteen majors under his belt. And he was, I don't want to say heading into his prime, but you can win majors in your mid-30s, especially when you're Tiger Woods. And it just it derailed from there. And everybody thought, now, for me, my money, best golfer to ever play the game. For me, in his prime. I can't sit here and say I watched Jack Nicklaus in his prime, no. But what I do know is Tiger Woods, what he did to the game of golf, changed the game of golf. He Tiger-proofed courses by how long he hit the ball. Nobody had seen him when he came on the scene. And nobody had seen anything like it and what he was doing to a golf ball and what he was doing to courses. He was obliterating. He was winning majors and winning them by record numbers. That's how you show dominance. Yes, Jack won 18. Jack also finished second in majors, I believe, 30 times or something ridiculous. But... When Jack Nicklaus was playing golf, he had like three or four peers that he had to beat every week. You know, yes, there was a full field of golfers. I get that. But there was only three or four that were really, really good when he was in his prime. Tiger had to deal with a lot of different people coming up that were really good in golf. He was just that much better. So to me, for my money, greatest golfer to ever play, but definitely still a missed opportunity. It'd be great. It'd be absolutely great to see him walking up 18 at Augusta with a chance to win another Masters I just don't see it. I don't see it. He's too injured. And wrap it up with a couple baseball notes here. I I talked the other day about Anthony Rendon of the Angels putting his hands on a fan. I thought he should get a week. He got four games. I guess that's better than nothing, but... Still thought that was a little lenient for putting your hands on a fan after game one of the season who just called you a name. And yesterday, if I were to tell you before the season started, the first person, the first batter to get ejected for arguing the fact that the pitch clock got him and struck him out, I'd say the odds that Manny Machado would be the answer to that question would be fairly low. And you'd be right. First inning yesterday, Manny Machado has two strikes on him, and he was still fixing his batting gloves when the eight-second mark hit on the pitch clock. And you have to be looking at the pitcher at the eight-second mark. He wasn't. Home plate umpire called strike three, struck him out, and Manny Machado argued and got ejected. Can't say I'm the least bit surprised since he is one of the more arrogant baseball players going and – Seems like he's having trouble adjusting because he had a couple violations during spring training as well. But, oh, Manny, can't say I'm least bit surprised by that. 
And oh yeah, I remember when the Texas Rangers swept their opening series against the Philadelphia Phillies and were heading for a 162 and 0 season. Well, they've now lost two in a row to the Baltimore Orioles, so it looks like the best they can do is 160 and 2 this season. So, there's that. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Thanks for getting through my my voice today. Hopefully it'll be better tomorrow. Uh, I really appreciate you listening. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple podcast. Pass this podcast off along to other people that you know. Don't only get as many people as we can listening to this thing. And um, again, thank you all for listening. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See ya.